Welcome to the First Baptist Church podcast from First Baptist Church in Navasota, Texas. For more information, visit fbcnavasota.org. Alright, well good morning. Um, like Clyde said uh, at the beginning, that's really loud. Okay. Um, like Clyde said at the beginning of the service, I am not the normal pastor here as you can probably guess just by looking at me. Um, but I got the opportunity to serve the church that I grew up in this summer as the youth ministry intern. And that was something that if you told me four years ago when I graduated high school, I would have really laughed in your face because I could never see myself doing that. And that's like a lot of things God has kind of uh, thrown in my lap the last few years um, as I've gone off to college and as I've grown more and grown more in my faith um, from the time when I was growing up. That's like a lot of things. I think if I look back to the time I graduated, um, I got the opportunity to be a young life leader while I was at AM, and I never thought that would be the case. Um, I got the opportunity to go on a mission trip to Cuba because of this church, and I never would have thought that I'd be doing something like that. So um, this right here is something that I guess I'm kind of used to. Um, God really likes to use us when we get out of our comfort zones, and this is definitely out of my comfort zone. So if you'll just bear with me today. Um, I think it's going to be really cool and really good. Um, yeah, so today we're going to start um, in kind of an obscure passage. We're going to be hopping around the Bible a little bit, but we're going to start in the book of Joshua, chapter 11, verses 16 through 20. Um, and while you're turning there, I'll kind of give you a little bit of background of what's going on. Um, so the people of Israel, after they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, they've come out of Egypt. They're wandering in the desert for 40 years, and they're finally getting to enter into the promised land. And for the first 11 chapters of Joshua, um, what we see is they're fighting this war. They're fighting a battle constantly, day in and day out, and they're fighting against the people that were occupying that land that God told them was going to be theirs. And so what happens is, as we're coming up on this, the battles are kind of dwindling down. The battles are coming to a close, and Joshua's about to spend the next few chapters allotting all of the land to the different tribes of Israel. But right here we kind of get this pause, and it's kind of summarizing everything that's happened to this point. So if you, if you would, uh, please stand with me as we read uh, this passage together. So Joshua took all of that land, the hill country, and all the Negev, and all the land of Goshen and the lowlands, and all the Arabah in the hill country of Israel, and its lowland at Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir, as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. And he captured all their kings and and struck them and put them to death. Joshua made war with them for a long time, with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle, for it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed. Just as the Lord commanded Moses. Y'all pray with me real quick. Um, God, thank you so much for this opportunity to open up your word. Um, I pray for myself. I pray that I speak the words that you want me to speak today. I pray for the hearts of everyone that's listening in my own heart as well, that I can, that we can just all take this to heart and um, learn more about you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. So that's a really... Uh, that's a really uplifting passage, right? Like talking about war and destruction and all this stuff. Um, but I really want to focus on one short little verse, verse 18, uh, because it was really essential to getting me 
uh, kind of fired up about what I'm talking about and gave me a really neat picture of what I'm going to talk about today. So in verse 18, it says, Joshua made war for a long time with all of those kings. And on the surface, that may seem like a given. Like, it was a lot of land that had to conquer. But if you read the book of Joshua from the beginning, it really makes it seem like it really wasn't that hard. Like, it comes in, and there's a battle, and we win. And there's a battle, and Israel wins. Um, But I was reading a commentary on that verse, and it says that when it says a long time there, it could mean anywhere from seven to ten years thereabouts. So I just want you guys to think about that for a little bit. Some of the people in this room have been through war. They've been through just the daily grind that that is every single day. So I want you to take a step back and think every single day for seven years with no break, no weekend off, no summer vacation, seven years, Joshua's job, Joshua's duty called by God is to lead his people into war. And it wasn't war that was just easy. It was war that was brutal, and people were losing their lives. And it had to be really hard to think, I'm coming in and taking these people's land, but that's because that's what God wants me to do. So it had to be something really hard for him to do. Um, But, yeah, I was just blown away by thinking about that and stepping back and thinking for seven years, this is what Joshua was doing. And I really just kind of, as I was starting to make connections in my own mind, I think that's really something similar to how our lives as Christians look today. I think it's really easy to fall into a trap of saying, you know, I became saved, I walked down an aisle, I prayed a prayer at church, and now I'm good until I die and go to heaven. But that's a depressing way to live. When you think about it, we were talking with our youth a couple weeks ago, and just thinking about, like, if your life as a Christian is, I'm going to say a prayer, I'm going to accept Jesus into my heart, and then wait till I die. That's, that's like, so depressing. Why would we want to live that way? Um, but... You know, we're not in the process of conquering foreign lands right now, um, but our battle is something that we really need to be thinking about daily. Um, We have a battle that's even more important against a painful enemy, and you might think you have a lot of enemies in in your life. When I say the word enemy, maybe someone or something pops into your mind, Um, but it's probably not what you think. Um, It's not any other person or even Satan himself. It's you. Your enemy is yourself. Um, the part of you that's still longing to be a slave to sin and flesh, that's your enemy. So I'm going to say that again. Like, my enemy for me personally is not someone with a different political view than me. It's not someone with a different religious view than me. It's not even Satan himself is not my main enemy. He is a enemy, but he's not my main enemy. My main enemy is myself and my flesh and my desire to go back to the state that I was before, before I became a Christ follower. So, yeah, my natural state is like, and I think that's all of us, our natural state is like this addict. Like, we've been, we've been removed from our sin, but we so desperately want to go back to it over and over and over again, even though we probably know that's not going to leave us in a good place. Um, and God wants us to take that battle. We have to fight that. We have to fight those desires, and we can't go back to that same broken source. I have to fight that personally, and everyone else that calls themselves a Christ follower has to fight that. Um, And I'm never going to grow into who God wants me to be, the person that God wants me to be, if I don't take that battle seriously. So, if we look back at Israel, what would have happened to Israel if they didn't take their battle seriously? They wouldn't have gotten to enter the promised land. They wouldn't have gotten to take all these promises that God had for them 
They wouldn't have gotten the full benefit of it if they didn't take their battle seriously. So what we're going to do now is look um, a little bit more further in the future that more applies to us in Romans chapter 7. It's going to pop up on the screen, but you don't have to stand up for it. Um, it's in verse, it's Romans chapter 7, verses 13 through 20. And Paul lays out this dilemma for us beautifully. He says, does that which is good bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the, command, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law is good. And here's the thing that really takes us over the top. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but I do the evil that I do not want, that I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So when we belong to the Lord and become Christ followers, um, we get the Holy Spirit that restores us. We are different people after we have. And what Paul is saying here is there's this split that happens. We now, we're no longer these fleshly beings. This is no longer our reality. Our flesh is, or our spirit has been restored, but we still have this thing that we're holding on to through our flesh. So there's two different parts here that are always going to be battling within us. Um, and if you flip the page over just one more in Romans chapter 8, we get some good news. There's, it says, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has life that sets you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And if you skip down a little bit in verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind, of, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So we get some good news and some bad news here because we have a choice. Thankfully, we're not defined by our flesh anymore. But we're defined by the spirit that resides inside of us, the Holy Spirit. And it makes us sons and daughters of God. And if you read on in chapter 8, it says that we're co-heirs with Christ. We're even better than sons and daughters. We get the same inheritance that Christ does in heaven after we die. Um, But the thing is that that eternal life, that inheritance that we get, wasn't meant to start when we die. It was meant to start right now. If you read John 10.10, it says, that I, Jesus is saying, I came to give you life and life to the full. And the way he's saying that is talking about right now on earth. So how do we get that? We're, um, like before we're rescued by God and given the, before we're rescued by God and given the grace to see our need for a savior, we were slaves to this flesh. That's what Paul's saying here. Like we had no choice but to just run to that and seek out happiness and seek out fulfillment. Um, but now we have a better option. We have the spirit. We have something that we can run to that's so much better than the flesh, and we need to treat it that way. So if you're into big theology words, like this is what we call sanctification. And there's these two ideas here, justification over here and sanctification over here. Justification is what happens when we accept Christ. It means that when we stand before God, we are justified. We're no longer seen as sinners. We're no longer seen as enemies of God, but we are accounted as children of God because of what Jesus did on the cross. There's this process over here that happens after that called sanctification. That is just a big fancy word for the whole process for the rest of our lives 
of God working in us to make us more like him and his son. It's not what saves us. Um, That would be Jesus' death on the cross, but it comes after that. And it's literally just God working for the rest of our lives here on earth to mold us and make us look more like him. So our lives as Christians, like I said, don't take a break between the time we become true Christ followers and when we die and go to heaven. That time right now is for us to be declaring war on the sin that still rests in us. It's that time for us to be fighting it and fighting um, just the tendencies that come with that. So I'm going to – so next part of the sermon, I'm going to give you four ways that I think are really practical, ways that we can do that. And this is something that was really cool for me because it's something that I struggle with and it's something that I know I'm going to struggle with for the rest of my life on earth. So here are four things that we can do. The first is declare war. And in Romans 8.13, we use some really passionate words there. It says, put to death the deeds of the body. And I think this goes even further than just saying, I'm going to fight the sin in my life. If I think about the wars that we've fought in in this country in the past century, we fought in a lot of wars. We fought, um, but the last time we actually declared war, like through Congress, was World War II. And some of you were alive when that happened. And if you look back, that's the last time we were fully committed to a war effort as a country, right? Like our factories were taken over so that we can make war materials. We had war rations. We were um, just as a whole country dedicated fully in every aspect of our lives to winning the fight. And that's just that's not just on the home front either. Like in war, combat is brutal. It's violent. It's um, destructive of the enemy. And you'll find that the enemy is more incapable of sneaking up on you and striking you when you least expect it. Um, one of my favorite pastors, John Piper, uh, he was giving a sermon called Killing Sin. He put it this way. There's a mean, violent streak to the true Christian life. Now let's very carefully ask, violence against whom or what? Not other people, but on every impulse in our soul to do violence to other people. Violence, a mean streak in Christianity against our own selves and all in us that would make peace with sin and settling in peacetime mind. We make war on all that is in us. It is violence against our lusts and ourselves, all enslaving desires for food, caffeine, sugar, any other addiction, the praise of man, approval of others, power, fame. This is our enemy. This is where we make war. It is a violence against all racism in our souls, all sluggish indifference to injustice in our souls, a violence against indifference to poverty and indifference to abortion in our souls. So what would our lives look like if we lived like that? Like, what would our lives look like if we took the mindset that this sin in our lives is an enemy and we need to destroy it and root it out? I think it would look a lot different than I know my life looks right now. And the second one, the second tip is this. We have to know who we are. And this is twofold. If you read in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And that's our identity in Christ. But I think it goes even further than that. If we're going to fight sin like we have to, we have to know who God created us uniquely to be. And so there's a lot of ways that we can do that. I think one of the coolest ways is we live in a time where people have devoted their whole lives to learning about personalities and different types of people. And there's resources like all at our fingertips. All we have to do is Google personality tests. One of my favorite is the Enneagram. And if you listen to me and Joe or Heather talk in the office, like we get teased a lot about how, especially by people like Donnie and I don't know if Clyde's ever teased us, but um, we get teased about just knowing, like, what's our number. And it's, like, basically this idea 
of a whole circle and you fit into one number on the circle. And a lot of really smart people that know a lot of really cool stuff, um, that God's given them a lot of really cool knowledge, um, have dedicated their lives to helping us figure out what it is that makes us tick, how God created us, and how we can fight sin and bad desires in our lives better. So I would just say look into that. Not only know that you are made new, that's a huge identity change when you become a Christian, but also know how you can fight it personally, how God made yourself, and look into that. And the third thing is this. Don't try to fight on your own. In Galatians 6, 1 through 10, we're called to bear one another's burdens. And the church of the New, De- New Testament uh, did this constantly, like we see in Acts 2. Um, like Joe said a couple weeks ago, if you were here, um, we like to take the New Testament, we like to take all these scriptural writings and apply it to our us and look at what we can get right here, right now. But it was written to a collective group of people that was trying to help each other and was trying to live as one collective body. And like Clyde was saying to our kids up here a second ago, we are the church and we were meant to live in community with one another. And if we try to do this lone wolf Christianity thing where we fight our battles on our own and fight and just keep going and try to persevere, we're never going to be able to um, see the growth that God wants to have for us. And the cool thing about community is that it's really scary. You have to put your burdens out to people. You have to put your dirty laundry out for other people to see. And that's something that we just really don't want to do um, on our own. But the cool thing about that is, is you have brothers and sisters all around you that are going through the same struggles that you are. You have brothers and sisters going all around you that are want to help you fight. If, they're, if they really want to be serious about fighting sin, they want help in their own lives as well. So... What's really cool about that is we have spirit-filled people all around us that see things about ourselves that we either want to just bury deep down or we've become numb to or that we haven't even seen before. So when we live in community, we have the opportunity to feed off of one another. We have the opportunity to look into each other's lives and dig deep and get to the root of the sin and the problems that are going on. And the last one is this. Um, we have weapons that God has already provided for us, and we need to use them. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 through 17, it says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and the word of God. Guys, God has not left us defenseless. He didn't leave us just to wander around the world and wonder how we can fight this battle. He gave us everything that we could ever need. He gave us uh, truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and the word of God. One really cool thing I like about this is there's six items here, if you read through that passage, there's six things that says God has given us. Um, But only one of those is offensive. The rest of them are defensive. And so what I really think that is saying there is like God's telling us, hey, I've got you. I've given you everything you need. And you don't even have to go looking to go do all this on your own. Like if we had, if it said like we have a sword and a machine gun and like all kinds of other stuff, it would make you think like you have to go out and do this on your own. But you don't. You have everything that you need from God himself. Um, and I think the most important thing about this is to know that we're going to fail. Um, as long as we live in a fallen world, we're going to sin and we're going to mess up. But the good news is that's not our identity anymore. Um, we, ha- we don't have an identity in the flesh. We have an identity in Christ. And we don't have to live in fear of our failures because they've already been taken care of. 
And this life that we're talking about, this life of killing sin, it's literally a bonus for us. We don't have to be a slave to the things that are holding us back. We don't have to um, fall into those traps anymore. And God's not going to lead us anywhere that doesn't, that is detrimental for our eternity. That's something that we can always think about. So, yeah, we're redeemed and we're made clean. But the way you live your life shows who your master is. We have these two incredible forces that are trying to pull us in either direction. We have the spirit that has saved us, and we have the flesh that is trying to pull us back into uh, being a slave to it. So the way you live shows who you're submissive to. The way that you live shows who who your master is. And you don't have to have the master of your flesh anymore. You have something far better if you're in Christ. So I'll leave you guys with this. If you're here today and you'd say you're losing that battle or you're not even fighting anymore, like you call yourself a Christ follower, but you're trapped um, in your sin, in your flesh, and there's hope for you. Like you don't have to serve that master that you're trying to serve anymore. You don't have to fall into the chains of slavery like Paul says later in the New Testament. You don't have to be a slave to yourself or to your flesh because you have a better master now. He's empowered you to break those chains. He's empowered you to fight the sin and defeat it because he's already won the battle. And if you're here today and you say you haven't had that transformation, you haven't given your life to Jesus, you still have an enemy. Um, It's not Satan. Satan is not your main enemy no matter who you are. Satan cannot condemn you to hell, y'all. That's something crazy to think about. Satan does not have the power to condemn you to hell for who you are, but he can welcome you with open arms because of the sin that you Um, But the good news for you, too, is there's hope for you, too. Um, There's hope in putting your trust in Jesus to win the war for you and become your new master so you can serve him and have him transform your life to be more like him. So I'll leave you with this, guys. It's something that's going to haunt us for the rest of our lives here on earth because we live in a fallen world. But we're called to transform our lives, to transform and look more like Jesus. In Romans 12, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Become more like Jesus to your very core. And that's something that we're going to be struggling with for the rest of our lives, but it's something that God has given us the power through the Holy Spirit to take hold of and take charge of and master. So I'm going to pray, and Ross is going to come up and give us a benediction.